My dear Brahmana, there are contradictions between your instructions and those of my spiritual teachers, who engage me in fruitive activities. I now can understand the distinction between devotional service, knowledge and renunciation. I had some doubts about them, but you have now very clearly dissipated all these doubts. I can now understand how even the great sages are bewildered by the real purpose of life. Of course, there's no question of sense gratification. Purport again by Sri Prabhupada. King Bhavishman was engaged in different types of sacrifices for the elevation to the heavenly planets. People generally are attracted by these activities and very rarely is a person attracted to devotional service. As Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu confirms, unless one is very, very fortunate, he does not take to devotional service. Even the so-called learned Vedic scholars are bewildered by devotional service. They are generally attracted to the rituals for sense gratification. In devotional service there is no sense gratification, but only transcendental loving service to the Lord. Consequently, the so-called priests engaged in sense gratification do not very much like devotional service. Brahmanas, the Brahmanas, the priests, have been against this Krishna consciousness movement since it began with Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. When Chaitanya Mahaprabhu started this movement, the priestly class lodged complaints to the Kazi, the magistrate of the Mohammedan government. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu had to lead a civil disobedience movement against the propaganda of the so-called followers of Vedic principles. These people are described as karma jadas marta, which indicates that they are priests engaged in bewildered rasoyapimupachanti, to save oneself from the hands of those karma janam smartas, one should strictly follow the instructions of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Sarvadama Purijagya Mame Kamsavanam Brajaham Tam Savapapadyo Mokshaishani Masujaham. Abandon all varieties of religion and just surrender unto me. I shall deliver you from all sinful reactions. Do not fear. Bhagavad Gita 1866. Omagana Tigaranda Syakaranjana Savakya Chakshurame Tamrena Tasma Shri Gurvain Maham. Vanchakalpa Tarupyas Chakripa Sindhabayeva Chapatitana Pavanavi Vaishnavi Maham. Shri Krishna Jaitanya Prabhupada Shri Vaita Gadatara Shivasati Gora Bhaktavrinda. Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare. So this is a, a wonderful section because now finally King Prachidabari is coming to realizations after this long, long process of uh, convincing the king of what his real duty in life is. And sometimes that's what happens with us too. You know, we find a candidate for Krishna consciousness and we somehow have to really work on them for a long period of time. It can take a long time and you have to keep on encouraging, you have to keep on uh, offering examples and just like Narad Muni here is doing with King, King Prachidavari, he's giving so many allegorical stories 
So, in this section, it's, uh, it's pointed out, and Prabhupada pointed this out in the previous uh, verse as well, that actually so-called teachers or leaders of this material society do not really know what the goal of life is. The goal of life is to actually serve Krishna. So, I reckon this story of King Karanjana and this whole uh, part here where we're learning about the different teachings that the king went through before he came to Krishna consciousness is so pertinent to any of us. All of us are in the same sort of boat. From a personal point of view, this very much hit home with me. Because from a very young age, um, I wanted to serve God in some way. But I really wasn't sure how to do that. And so all my teachers coming up to Krishna consciousness were teaching in some way, but it was never fully satisfying. Even as a young child, I had this, probably from previous lives or something, I had this desire to actually want to serve. Yeah, but sometimes actually, I have to tell you, it's, it's annoying if you put it right close and the camera can't see the face or expressions of the person. Like that? Huh? <laughs> oh, somebody's already saying that? Sorry, folks. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, so it was, uh, for me, it was really an eye-opener when I read this section and a realization of what was actually happening in my life, what happened in my life. We have so-called teachers in our lives. The first teachers that we have are our parents, are our teachers. So, and, and your relatives, your brothers, elder brothers and sisters, they teach you things. So, one of the things that I really had this desire that somehow or other life was meant for more than just the mundanity of what they had. And this was at a very young age. And I started to do, I, I, I've said once before, I read these different books because I'm from a Christian faith. My devotion is geared towards Lord Jesus. So, I read these books about all these different saints who had. Worship Lord Jesus. And I thought, that's, that's where the nectar is. That's where actual, real enjoyment is. Real spiritual understanding. And so I started to set up a little altar in my bedroom with pictures of saints and a statue of Jesus and so on and so forth. And I would get flowers from the garden and offer flowers to the, to, you know. And it was only later when I started to do deity worship and I used to do the worship of the Shalagam Shiva and that I started to realize, hey, hang on a tick. This was something from a previous life that as a young person, I wanted to do this. So anyway, when I did that, my parents and, and even my brother, my brothers and sisters especially, were saying, what's wrong with you? What, what the hell are you doing? Why are you going to play football? You know, and I said, well, really? I mean, I think this is really important in my life. But they, ridiculed me so much. Even my parents said, maybe that will come later. Don't do that now. Just go outside and play. And I thought, why are you saying that? You're supposed to be Christians and everything. Why are you saying that? <laughs> so I was really disappointed, but the pressure was, okay, I'll leave it. So then I was sent to a Catholic school. And in a Catholic school you had religious instruction. And I got the religious instruction, but I started to question you know, why do innocent people suffer? Why is that? Why does Lord Jesus and God allow these innocent people to suffer? And different points of view came up. So I started to challenge my teachers. 
I said, no, these scriptures aren't fulfilling the need in me, that it's not fulfilling, it's not answering the questions that I want. To the extent where they nearly expelled me from the school because of my questioning. Anyway, I sort of said, okay, no worries, I'll comply with your wishes, I won't challenge too much. Then the, um, at the last year of my, my high school, we used to get these missionaries through, you know missionaries? Christian missionaries that go to the ends of the world and they, they present God consciousness or Jesus Christianity to, to these people, to people of that particular place. And they came to the high school and they were looking for recruits, for people to become brothers or priests and go to the missions. So I thought, that's where it's at. You know, to do practical service to God is where it's at. And to help people in their spiritual life is what I want to do. So I said, okay, I'm into it. And so the priest came, that was the coordinating person for the missions. And he met my parents, and my parents said, yeah, he's a bit of a spiritual sort of person, and he's really into, I think he'd make a good priest, or he'd be a good um, brother and a good missionary. So everything went through, we did it and everything, and they sent me off to, finally, everything was approved, and they sent me off to New Guinea. Anybody been to New Guinea? New, you know where New Guinea is, right? Yeah. You don't know where New Guinea is. New Guinea is our neighbour above, just above us. <laughs> so it's an island, can't a little island, New Guinea, Papua and New Guinea. Oh, oh right. Yeah. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> Uh, yeah, 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 New Guinea. So anyway, <laughs> there I was with this priest and he had given me all the instructions and everything. And so we went and flew from Port Moresby and we went to this jungle region. And it was nothing but jungle when you were flying over this area of New Guinea. It was nothing but jungle. And in the middle of this jungle there was this little opening, right? A little opening in the jungle. And that was the place that he said, he said, that's where the mission is. So, wow. So anyway, the plane landed, plane landed and I started my missionary service there. I was only there for about three months or something and I was so disillusioned because the people weren't following even the teachings of Lord Jesus. They were, first and foremost, they were very, very um, racist and prejudice towards the indigenous people. They felt that they were ignoramuses and they treated them like dirt. The priest held no spiritual practices. He had like a lady, we found out from different people, that he actually had a lady in each of the villages that he would visit and he was supposed to be celibate. God. You know, the brothers that were there were alcoholics. You know, they, they, they just drank themselves silly at night time and I thought, what the heck am I doing here? You know, these people are supposed to be my teachers to get to a level of spiritual understanding that I've wanted for my whole life and they're not doing anything. So the first plane out, I took out. See you later. I came back home and my mother, and in a Christian family, some of you may be Christians, in a Christian family, especially a Catholic family, if one of the children actually aspires to be a priest or a brother or enter a religious life, uh, they're glorified within the family. You know, you, you've really attained something if your child becomes a priest or a nun or something. 
So my mother had set up this little shrine to me. You know, they had this little picture of me and everything. They had no idea I was coming home. No idea. So I knocked on the door and my dad opened the door. What are you doing back here? I said, you can have your religion. It stinks. There's no truth to it. I'm out of here. <laughs> my mother was like crying, you know. There she was, the shrine of their little saint. And I said, you can have it. It's all nonsense. I don't believe any of it. My teachers haven't been true to me. So then I... <laughs> so then I became very atheistic in my life. And sense gratification. But it never felt right, you know. It never felt right. And then later I became interested, somehow or other, by an example of somebody else, again, another teacher, showed me a way of meditation and Vedic culture, right? And so I was convinced to actually take up meditation and learn from this guru, this yogi. And I learned meditation, and for a period of time it was good. But then, hey, I isn't it so good to see devotee spaces if you haven't seen it before? Hurry while I say, away at the room. Big virtual hug. <laughs> so, um, so I studied with him, and even there it was like, this is just a full life. We were doing the, it was uh, transcendental meditation, I was doing the, uh, uh, the cities and everything, all these different programs, but I wasn't fulfilling. And consequently, I was still not satisfied. So he was another teacher that wasn't fulfilling my need spiritually. And uh, so anyway, I, uh, I started to research all different faith traditions at this stage, you know, trying to find out the truth. And other faith traditions, I went to the Buddhist, and went to all these different groups, Muslim tradition and uh, Sikh tradition. And then I started, finally, my friend and I started to read Srinath Bhagavatam. Prabhupada Srimad Bhagavatam. And I started, somebody had given me the Bhagavatam while I was on this rounding course, you know, like on this. Now we've been to the Hare Krishnas as part of my searching. But I always thought, I've oh, got these in another bunch of fanatics. I'm just not interested. I could never see myself dancing around with a big dogi and a bald head because at that stage long hair was really in. I could never see myself doing something like that. I thought, no, these guys aren't spiritual at all. You know, so forget that. But I loved your food. And so I would come to take prasadam. Anyway, finally somebody gave me Shiva Prabhupada's book to read while I was on this retreat. It was like a month-long retreat. And I started to read Bhagavatam. And suddenly it started to make sense. That my questions were being answered. He was a real teacher. And my friend also, who was also reading, he was also starting to get real realizations finally. And we said to each other, actually, we found the real teacher, Srila Prabhupada. I said, you know, I had an opportunity to meet him when he was here in Melbourne. In fact, I went to the temple three days after he had left Melbourne Temple. And I came here and I stood in front of the Vyasa Sangha. And the flowers for the dead for Prabhupada were still on the altar. And they said, you just missed our spiritual master. And at that stage I said, oh, well, so what? <laughs> but then on this rambling course, on this meditation course, we finally, it finally hit. This is the truth. This is the real teacher. And we said, we found him. You know? And in my meditation at that 
minute stage, I started to relate how wonderful Krishna is. I think I've explained this once before, but anyway, I thought I'd say it again because it's so pertinent to this verse. How wonderful Krishna is. And, um, and I started to relate this to my teachers who were teaching meditation, because you used to have to have these sessions where you would ex- explain your realizations and the experiences you were having in the meditation. And I said, well, I'm really getting enthralled by the beauty and the wonder of Krishna after reading this Srimad Bhagavatam by Srila Prabhupada. And they said, oh, Bhakta, and my name wasn't Bhakta at that stage, oh, Bert, you better watch out. You know, you might end up chanting on the streets with those Hare Krishnas if you beat this up. And I remember to this day, I actually said, well, that may not be a bad idea. (laughs) And that was, in a sense, that's when I had made that commitment to myself and commitment, just as King Prachinavari is, this is not a bad idea. So then it, it didn't end there. I still had this little bit of attachment to these old teachers and, and, and Christianity to a sense. So the final straw was when I came to the temple, my wife and I came to the temple and, um, and the, the spiritual master at that stage or the guru at that stage with Bhavananda and he was preaching about Lord Jesus and, and we were saying, wow, you know, and how his teachings linked in with Bhakti Yoga. We said, actually that makes complete sense. But we still had some little reservation. It meant a big surrender. A big surrender to become a devotee. At that stage it was a huge... We were considered a cult. We we were considered crazy. We were considered, you know, I mean, just out of this world. And for us to make that commitment then would have been... was like, wow! So anyway, we were out in the courtyard after the lecture and the representative of Naradhuni came along. This is my representative to Narayana in our life. And that was Jayavata Swami. Jayavata Swami was visiting Melbourne. And he was here and he said, so what did you think of the lecture? I said, oh Maharaj, I think that was really nice, you know. And he said, but? I said, well, you know, it's like... And he said, you want to follow Lord Jesus, right? I said, yeah, I've wanted to do that my whole life. And he said, if you want to follow Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus wants you to do this. And the penny dropped. That was my final moment. The penny dropped and I thought, yes, this is it. And then I became, from there on in, it was just a question of time. And uh, my wife and I, I remember driving home from the temple that night. And my wife was of the same opinion. We said, actually, you're speaking the truth. If we really are sincere about spiritual life, and if we really are wanting to find out the truth about spiritual life, this is the answer. It's there, right in front of us. Now we have to take it. So like King Prasnabari, it took a while to convince us. But when the penny dropped, that was it. So we were driving home, my wife was crying. I said, what are you crying about? She said, you know what it means, don't you? All our friends will leave us. Our family will reject us. And it's going to be a tough haul. And it was. In those days, it was really, really tough to actually make that sort of a commitment. But that's, that's what we did. So, uh, this was very relevant to me when I read this passage, and same with this report that we're reading now, you know, that actually we just have to abandon everything and just surrender to Krishna. So we've all gone through this education process, you know, and um, unlike the Karmakandi 
is we want to actually serve Krishna. That's our goal. We're not interested in dry rituals. We're not interested in attaining the heavenly planets as it's pointed out here. We're not interested in any of those things. Our job is to serve Krishna and please Krishna. That's all we want. So there's, I, must have, I must tell you also that while I've been in isolation, I don't know what it is, but the classes at the moment from the devotees, all the devotees have been exceptional. They've been so uplifting. I thank you all so much for the wonderful research classes that all of you are doing. It's just been really fantastic. And the class that uh, Gangeshwara Prabhu gave the other day just about rituals, and he was saying, you know, how sometimes, even within our society, it's necessary to do some little rituals. It's necessary for purification, but not for attaining the heavenly planets or anything, but simply as ritual for purification and connection with the Supreme Lord. They're necessary, uh, but not essential. So actually he was mentioning, it was actually interesting, he was mentioning about the marriage, sacrifice, marriage service, and I've done some marriage services for the Hindu community, you know, like as a priest, and, and you know how those marriages go. In our day, in the early days when Bhakti and I got married, Vedic marriage, it was at our Brahman initiation, it was just a, an aside thing, you know, we threw a garland on each other and okay folks, you're married, throw your banana in the fire and that's it folks, there it is. <laughs> that, that, that was it. We had to make our own garlands, Bhakti had to borrow a special sari. It wasn't, no, no, no big ritual, you know, the guru was there, okay Bhakti, you have heard, you Bhakti, that's it. And uh, so, there's really no real need for it, you know, but sometimes we do have to incorporate various uh, minor rituals. Uh, similarly, you know, sometimes it can be said, why doesn't Bhakta just tell people in interfaith or in chaplaincy, why doesn't he just tell people to chant Hare Krishna? That's it, because that's the ultimate goal of everything, to chant Hare Krishna. But just like Gangeshwara was explaining, we have to cultivate people. We have to bring people to Krishna consciousness slowly. So um, that's what we have to do. You know, we just do it in a gentle way and, and encourage people. Uh, you know, I mean, can you imagine if I went and did chaplaincy of spiritual care and somebody's lying in bed and, and I started saying, look, the only thing you have to do is just chant Hare Krishna. I mean, it just wouldn't work. So you have to work people into it, just as Narad Muni was bringing King Krasnavari to a point of realization where the penny dropped and he said, yeah, now I understand what I've been taught. So sometimes also we have it when people come from an interfaith perspective or from a school perspective, where people come and they see the deities and they see the arti and the arti ceremony and they say to me, so this is the Hare Krishna rituals? I said, well, it's a ritual, but it's in a sense it has a lot of meaning. There's a lot of meaning behind the arti that we do. It is a program or a presentation of gratitude to the Supreme Lord. And it encompasses all of our senses. We're offering our senses and our, our uh, existence to the Supreme Lord, that everything that we do is offered to the Lord. So thereby, I said, look, see this, the gentleman is now offering incense? That's offering our sense of smell. And everything that we smell is in relationship to God. Everything pleasant and even unpleasant is in relationship to God. 
see the fire that's being offered, and that will use fire in so many different things for heating, for digestion of food. Again, it's all in gratitude to the Lord. He supplies this. And water, water, we need water, and so on and so forth. So when you explain it to that, there is no mundane aspect to this ritual. It is all centered on Krishna. And so um, there are rituals in our life, you know. They, they ask me sometimes, uh, what's the ritual why you have to wake up so early in the morning? We don't do it for any other reason except for the fact that that's the best time to chant Hare Krishna. Why do you apply, what is the ritual of applying tilak on your body? Do you just do it to, to, to appease someone? No. It's a means by which we actually recognize that this body is, is a vehicle in which we can attain spiritual uh, enlightenment. And understanding that we are not these bodies, but this body houses the Supreme Personality of God as Paramatma, and that our real self is Atma within. And so designating the body as a temple, it becomes a temple. So remembering Krishna is the most important part as far as rituals are concerned. So even in Western society, there are so many rituals. Have you noticed that? I mean, when we grew up, you know, you have the thing where um, there's a horseshoe. Do you know that? Horseshoe is good luck. A horseshoe. The shoe of a horse. And in the West, you used to hang a shoe of the horse over, over your uh, house. And that was a ritual that you did, and that meant that it was good luck. <laughs> you know, and uh, like another thing was that it was bad luck if you walked under a ladder. So there were all these weird rituals. You ever, ever heard of that one? If there's a ladder, ladder leading up against the building, uh, a, a Western person that knows this won't walk underneath the ladder. Because if you walk underneath the ladder, it's bad luck. You, something's going to happen to you. So you walk around the ladder. Right? Another one is if you see a black cat. If a black cat walks in front of your path. You've heard of that one, right? If a black cat walks in front of your path. Oh my God, that's bad luck. Right? And you have to appease that bad luck somehow or another. Another one is Friday the 13th. Oh yeah. Friday the 13th, oh my God, it's Friday the 13th. How inauspicious. Did you know that actually Srila Prabhupada left India on Friday the 13th to come to the West to bring Krishna to everybody? Friday the 13th for us in the Hare Krishna movement is super auspicious because Prabhupada came to the West. So some devotees actually still carry those little I don't know if it's in India or anywhere, but sometimes, you know, it's knocking on wood. You know? If something is, is uh, oh God, I hope it doesn't happen. And they knock on wood or they knock on their head. And, uh, have you heard of that one? Touch wood. Touch wood. Damn. It's like, what the... <laughs> it's just not relevant. So everything can become auspicious or inauspicious depending on how you take it. If you see it as the divine will of the Lord, uh, recently... Uh, on my little post that I put on Facebook, I mentioned this thing about how the COVID-19 gives us an opportunity to either look at this whole isolation thing in a positive light, in an auspicious light, or inauspicious. <coughs> and it's best to stay auspicious. So the devotee makes the most of any situation, whether it's inauspicious or, in, or, or, or auspicious. Um, in, the, in, in our time now with this social isolation, 
or you know, hibernation, or solitude, or whatever you like to call it. We have an opportunity to develop our skills in so many different ways, and some of the preachers that have been talking through the Srimad Bhagavatam have been pointing out how there are so many different ways we can actually make advancement and grow and think of how we can reach people. A classic example was, you know, as an auspicious thing, you know, was recently Manmohan uh, Prabhu has set up this prasadam distribution, you know, where we can sell prasadam. Now that may carry on after this whole COVID-19 thing, this pandemic is over. And so we're thinking of different things that we can do. Prabhu, how did we go last night? It was good actually. Yeah? Yeah. How many people? Uh, we did prasad distribution with $700. Wow, for the first night, that's pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Well done, Prabhu. Good on you. I love the setup, it's just easy, it's really good. Yeah. Fantastic. So, Vaishnava only relies on Krishna. Vaishnava, the devotee of Krishna, only relies on Krishna. You know, we're not that much interested in Vastu, we're not that much interested in astrology. We're not much interested in anything except just chanting. So um, it's a necessity, it's not required, you know. We may look at our astrology and see if we match in a marriage situation. Sometimes it's handy for leaders within our society to sort of ascertain whether a couple are compatible. For that it's quite okay. But some devotees really get into this whole astrology thing. Oh God, my moon is in the third phase with Rahu or something. And I can't do that. It's really not necessary, you know. Or, oh, my vastu is not right now that we've changed the doors on this and in our house and now we're so much better. We just rely on Krishna. Just rely on Krishna. <laughs> Gangeshwar and Jatendra, we do the, uh, you know, they do their jagyas, the head shavings, and Jit does the uh, car blessings, you know. <laughs> we have the... We have the the Hindu community, they want to have their car blessed, you know, so Jip accommodates that, you know. And again, it's, it's all, you know, making a presentation and, and it's all encouraging people. And what does all, both of them always finish, whether it's a head shaving or any sort of jagya, any sort of purificatory thing, what does it always finish with? Harinam, chanting. And that's really the potency. That's where it's all really at. Just chanting Hare Krishna. So we do all these different things. Yes, I'll bless your car. Yes, I'll bless your baby. Now, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. You know, so they hear the holy name. So it always finishes with the chanting of the holy name. All we really want is just to please Krishna. It's a public perception and an approval by the public. There's actually a really interesting example. You know the example of when they set up Vrindavan Temple. But Prabhupada said there is actually, that's the only time that he really said there's actually no need for any of this. All we need to do is sit and have kirtan and the deities are there. There's another example also which, uh, which I heard recently uh, when they set up the temple in Hyderabad. In Hyderabad they set up the temple and uh, the devotee said to Shri Prabhupada was there and Prabhupada, they said to Prabhupada, Oh, we got all the best Brahmins in Hyderabad to come. All the big, you know, uh, uh, sannyasis and Goswamis and everything. And they are going to chant Vedic hymns for this opening and installation of the deities. And Prabhupada said, very good. Not that he cared. He said, very good. So from the moment that Prabhupada arrived, 
they were chanting him, oh, the whole thing, blah, blah. And, um, and Prabhupada sat through the whole thing, you know, and everything went on. He said, this is for public perception. And then at the end, Prabhupada said, so now, Kirtan. So the devotees, it was actually Hansa Luka, so the devotees started chanting and they, they had a full on Kirtan and they were Western devotees and the, these Brahmins had never experienced Haridam. It's just not in their forte, you know, it's like, what the, you know. So they were all into the Jagyas and everything and mantras and all this and Prabhupada said, now Haridam. So Hansa Luka used to lead these really ecstatic Kirtans and so he led this far out Kirtan and all the Western devotees were up. And then the Brahmins, I thought, wow, this is amazing. And they all got up off the jugga pit, and these big fat Brahmins, you know how they. Pretty, <laughs> I should. <laughs> I should. But they were all up, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. And they were into it, totally into it. And Prabhupada said, that is the auspiciousness. That now welcomes Krishna. That everybody is chanting the holy name. So this is. This is where, where it's at, you know. If there's a public perception, yes, we have to do these things as a public perception and as, a, and as accommodating people's rituals to a certain extent. But in the ultimate, our real purpose is to serve Krishna and to present Krishna consciousness. Even Lord Chaitanya. Lord Chaitanya took sannyas from Mayavadi school, from the Sankaracharya school. He knew that it was Sankaracharya school, you know, Mayavadi. Not that uh, his spiritual master was, but he thought, I have to do this because that's the only sannyas order that's respected within our society of that time in India. So I have to take this. As soon as he was a sannyasi, he was criticizing Shankaracharya's philosophy, saying it's all nonsense, throw it out, it's not true, Krishna is the supreme. So even we have to do this, you know, and... Uh, and that's, that's what's asked of us, you know. So sometimes also we get, the, we get asked, again through different people, uh, so you have your deity worship, is that ritualistic? Is the deity worship ritualistic? Yes, there's a certain amount of ritual that has to be there, but it's minimal. Compared to other traditions, it's really minimal. Srila Prabhupada was very, very emphatic that the deity worship had to be done very, very simply. There were three standards that Prabhupada always said, and Korma Prabhu used to emphasize this when we started to learn uh, deity worship. He said the three standards are number one, super cleanliness. You have to be super clean. Number two, you have to be punctual. Punctuality in Krishna consciousness is of the utmost importance. Number three is, uh, regular, is uh, simplicity. So cleanliness, punctuality, and simplicity. See, Srila Prabhupada set those standards. And uh, everything, everything in regards to deity worship has to be accompanied by kirtan. Chanting of the holy name has to be there at all times. So we follow the Narada Pancharatriki Vidhi, which then leads to uh, the nature of devotion and the Ashwapadati, which is our book for um, deity worship, the standards of deity worship. And there are some basic rules and regulations there about having clean cloth, making sure you're suchi, doing archanum before you start, 
But it's not for any other goal except to please Krishna. We're actually now coming in the presence of God in the deity form. And so thereby we have to be very, very uh, attentive and, 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 and thoughtful. So cleanliness is there. We have to bow down, understanding who we're bowing down to before we enter the temple room. We're going in to see God in the form of the deity. So we have to be, we can't speak loudly in front of the deity. We can't be angry in front of the deity. We can't uh, cry in front of the deity. These sort of things. There was one person who had an incredible problem with flatulence. No flatulences? Don't know. Passing air. Okay? And he had an incredible problem with passing air. One of the regulations is you can't pass air before the deities. So this guy would be dressing the deities as devotee. Would be dressing the deities and every five minutes he'd be rushing out. Take it! <laughs> so these are the things that we have to be aware of. You know, these are things. So we have to be suchi. Um, and uh, we have purificatory mantras. And they're basic, they're essential, but not, uh, not for our own personal development, not for attaining anything, not for selfishness. It's not to inconvenience the Lord. Not to inconvenience the Lord. And sometimes, you know, when I first started to do deity worship, I thought, wow, this is so much similar to uh, royalty. You know, if you ever watch or ever see any of these, uh, not so much now anymore, but in the turn of the century, back Queen Victoria's time, how servants used to serve the royalty, and I guess it was the same in India. You know, they used to be reserved, they couldn't say anything, they were always just standing quietly, and you couldn't touch the, the, the royal person, and you couldn't speak, don't speak until you've spoken to, and all these different protocols. So it, it taught people how to be a servant, to be humble and just be there for service. Similarly, when we have our opportunity to serve our spiritual master, it's the same sort of thing, you know, there's awe and reverence. You are very reserved in how you deal with your spiritual master. And so you should. You know, when Rida and Maharaj came here, and believe it or not, Bhakta had to be humble. You know, I had to be really reserved as to how to deal with Maharaj. And Maharaj was just so accommodating. And for me, it was like I could actually slip into a real, you know, I could easily slip into a real friendly sort of mood with him. But I had to check myself. No, hang on. He's my guru, he's my spiritual master. I really have to be. And, and I notice also when Gopa Vrindesh, when, uh, when David Rita Maharaj is here, he's a completely different person. It's just like, he's, oh, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and, that's, and that's good. And that's good. Because we're actually servants, because this person and, and the deities are giving us Krishna consciousness. They're developing our love for Krishna. They're, they're our teachers, they are real teachers. So similarly, there's also... So these are the standards that we have when we have our deities here in, in the altar. And then we also have the worship of the deities at home. Our deity worship at home. Now our deity worship at home should be similar, but not necessarily as, as complex, necessarily. It can be simpler. But it, can be, it, it can't be done neglectfully. If we have deities in our home, we should actually be really mindful that Krishna is there in our home. And so often, sometimes we go to devotees' homes and they've got deities in the cupboard, in the kitchen cupboard, you know? And it's just like a condiment. 
It's another part of the whole food process. They're, they're the machine for making prasada. That's not right. The deities are the central part of the home. And Prabhupada said, you know, like he was explaining in Vrindavan, and, that, and sometimes I say, well, you know, why have you got your deities just tucked away like this? They said, well, Prabhu, they're not in store. Huh? <laughs> Prabhupada was saying, you know, that we don't need any of the installation rituals at all. All we have to do is just chant Hare Krishna before the deities, the deity is there. Krishna is there. So similarly, if we have home deities, are you chanting before the deities? Yes, we're chanting before the Then Krishna is there. Krishna is there. This is now Krishna's house. It's not your house. This is Krishna's house. And so you should be respectful. You should actually really look after the deities and worship them properly. The standard can be very simple. You don't need to dress them every day as we're dressing here. You don't need to have so many artis and, as you know, but just simple. And that simple procedure, if it's just recognizing one arti, one offering, dressing once a fortnight, something like that, you set up a standard, that's perfect. But you have to recognize that Krishna is there. And he's not just a prasada machine. He is the owner of the place that you're living at the moment. He is the resident. You've invited him there. And you're chanting in front of the deity, so thereby Krishna is there. So that's what Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, in chapter 9, text 27. In the most confidential knowledge, the chapter is actually headed as the most confidential knowledge. And in text 27, O son of God, all that you do, all that you eat, all that you offer and give away, as well as all austerities you may perform, should be done as an offering to me. Everything we do, as far as arti, as far as worship, as far as everything, should be done for the pleasure of Krishna. So the purport for that, which I really thought I'd read out. Thus, it is the duty of everyone to mold his or her life in such a way that he will not, they will not forget Krishna in any circumstance. Everyone has to work for maintenance of his body and soul together, and Krishna recommends herein that one should work for him. Everyone has to eat something to live, therefore he should accept the remnants of foodstuffs offered to Krishna. Any civilized man has to perform some ritualistic religious ceremonies, therefore Krishna recommends, do it for me. And this is called archana. Everyone has a tendency to give something in charity. Krishna says, give it to me. And this means all surplus money accumulated should be utilized in furthering the Krishna consciousness movement. Nowadays, people are very much inclined to the meditational process, which is not practical in this age. But if anyone practices meditating on Krishna 24 hours by chanting the Hare Krishna mantra, rounds up his beads, he is surely the greatest yogi, as substantiated by the sixth chapter of Bhagavad Gita. This is a really amazing section here, what Prabhupada is saying. So chanting the Mahamantra is really all we have to do, just the chanting of Hare Krishna. But we must do it with intense perfection. This cannot be emphasized enough when we have to chant our rounds. There was actually, uh, uh, recently, you know, with the passing of Hamsadutta uh, Prabhu, uh, there was some... He went through some of the stories of him and Sri Prabhupada. And Prabhupada was saying, actually, uh, we don't. Uh, we, he was talking specifically about the GBC, and he said, 
the GBC's job is not necessarily to sit in management for days on days, worrying about different managerial things. Prabhupada's emphasis was that the job of the GBC is to actually go back to the devotees and encourage them to sincerely chant Hare Krishna because that is the essence of this movement, the chanting of Hare Krishna. And, um, and this is what, what should be done. So the books are there. We need, Srila Prabhupada made so much of an effort to get these books to us. The authorized scriptures are necessary to stimulate our intelligence, to stimulate our intelligence in knowledge of how to love God. Not to be intellectually scholarly like some of the Karmakandis learning so many shlokas and so on just for the fact that, oh look at me, look at me, I can learn so many shlokas. No, it's actually we learn and we study the scriptures to learn how to love God more. An example that was given, that Srila Prabhupada gave, one time they, uh, in the early days th- there was this uh, gentleman, an Indian gentleman, who came to the temple and the devotees brought him before Prabhupada and they said, Prabhupada, this person can chant 700 verses of Bhagavad Gita. Perfectly. Do you, do you, yeah. He said, do you want him to start reciting something? <laughs> Prabhupada said, no. Better he goes and does some service. Can you organize some service in the potshed or something for this man? <laughs> and the guy was flabbergasted and he said, because by him doing some service, some menial service, he will actually know the purport of all those verses. So this is really important. Our intelligence has to be satisfied as well though. And we view the world, we see that everything is personal. We see that God can also be personal and he has his many energies. So this is all explained to us in the Shastra. So in the previous verse, uh, in the previous verse that I studied, <laughs> not this verse here, uh, Prabhupada's before Krishna says, uh, Prabhupada said, Krishna consciousness movement is therefore very important for the enlightenment of all classes. Everyone has an opportunity to uh, come to Krishna consciousness, irrespective of their intellectual ability, irrespective of their social position, everybody can come to Krishna consciousness. And there was a really nice class given just recently, again by Gangeshwara Prabhu, about uh, Jayananda. You know, Jayananda was a New York taxi driver. And he became a pure devotee of the Lord, going back, going back to Godhead, just by the association of Srila Prabhupada. So Krishna is pleased by everyone's efforts, and he reveals himself by your effort to do devotional service. And that's what's important, that your effort is there. And the effort starts by chanting Hare Krishna. Make an effort to chant Hare Krishna and everything else will be perfectly uh, okay. In Lord Chaitanya's time also, you know, you had that story of the Brahmin. And when Lord Chaitanya went to South India, the Brahmin sitting there reading Bhagavad Gita and he was illiterate. But his spiritual master had told him, I want you to study Bhagavad Gita. So he was just looking at the picture of, rather, of, uh, Lord, of Lord Krishna on, on the chariot with Arjuna and he was crying. And Lord Chaitanya said, why are you crying? Oh, Krishna is so merciful that he's giving this wonderful instruction to his, his devotee, you know. And Lord Chaitanya said, you've actually got the essence of Bhagavad Gita. This is really what it's there. So, learning through Guru and Shastra, developing faith in the Holy Name, is what's required. And that is the most powerful process. Because chanting of Hare Krishna is the most powerful process. You know, and we're very fortunate now in this day and age that you actually have the time to really 
knuckle down, and especially during this COVID-19, we have the time to study more and to learn more. In the early days of Krishna consciousness, we hardly had any time to study. We were doing service from where we go. I mean, you know, we would come to Mangalarati, then we'd have to go to the markets, we would, some of us would do deity worship, and then we'd be out either doing sankirtan or running a restaurant, and, and we were from, from 4 o'clock in the morning or 3.30 in the morning till 9 o'clock at night we were engaged in service. And every now and again you'd be able to go through the Bhagavad Gita or Srimad Bhagavatam and read a little bit. Oh, I have to read something for them, you know. And then you'd be reading it at, at uh, 8.30 or 7 o'clock at night after 7 o'clock early and you'd go, hang on. You know, you'd read one verse and it's like, boom, all asleep. So, um, we have to actually be very intense. In, the, in that interview with Hansadutta, all our devotees, Prabhupada said, all our devotees should intensely practice chanting Hare Krishna. That is the most important thing in Krishna consciousness. So Srila Prabhupada also stated that chanting is so important that if one's chanting is not in an attentive mood, if one's chanting is not in an attentive mood, then their service or their actions for that day can be, maybe, karmic. So we generally say, service that we do in our service, you know, uh, gains no karma, it's akarma, you know. But if we don't attentively chant Hare Krishna with full understanding to the best of our abilities, then the work that we may be doing becomes karmic. So we have the devotees, you know, that are working for a material job, and if you're under the assumption that, well, yes, I'm working for Krishna, ultimately, and the funds are going to run my Grihastha house, or, and some donation goes to the temple, if you are not properly chanting with the dedication, that work that you may be doing could be karmic, and there's repercussions for that. So we have to be really careful. Prabhupada said that, we have to have an attentive mood. So the essence of this movement is chanting. Everything else may go. Everything can stop. You know, like in COVID-19 now, we can't visit the temple. And I can't tell you, you guys are here all the time. I can't tell you how absolutely uh, stunning it is to come in the presence of the deities in Srila Prabhupada. It is so uplifting. And because of this COVID-19, we haven't had the opportunity to actually connect like that, you know. And you miss it. You really, really miss it. The other day I was in the kitchen cooking and I put on the kirtan, you know, and, and I really became emotionally affected by it, you know, and I turned it up full bore, got a pair of characters and started dancing around the kitchen. And I was going, what the hell is that? What's going on? And she thought the whole crew had come for a hurry now. It was just me with a full on kirtan. I just had to. I had to. I couldn't, I couldn't hold it back anymore. I heard Kadamba come in Maharaj's kirtan and I thought, ah, oh, this is just too good. We've got the cocktails out and I'm running up and down in the kitchen, you know, with anyhow. <laughs> so, so these are things that we need, you know. So everything can be taken away from us, you know. Like access to the temple at the moment is taken away from us. For some, for some of us, not you guys. <laughs> <laughs> but for us it's been taken away from us but everything can be taken away from us you know even the deities can be taken away from us 
you know, which happened in different places in New Vrindavan, the deities were smashed by these biker gangs, you know, and the deities were taken away. So everything can be taken away from us. The books can, you know, and who's to say the government has now put this impost on us, you can't come to the temple. What is to say? I mean, in due course of time, they say, you can't distribute these books. Actually, we confiscate all the books of the Hare Krishna movement. We don't want that to go out to the public. What do we do? You know, you can't chant and dance in the streets anymore. In fact, no one is to wear these devoted clothes. If you wear these devoted clothes, you'll be put into prison. They've done this. Why couldn't they do that? It's happened before. So this is, this is what we have to understand, you know. They, they say, you can't wear your beads. Don't wear these beads in school, you know. And you have to conform with that. When you go to jail, you can't have Jaffa beads. It's, some of our devotees have had to go to jail. And they say, oh, can I have my Jaffa beads? No, you can't have Jaffa beads. You're going to hang yourself with the beads. So you have to chant on your fingers. Now these, this has happened, you know. An example of that is... But the chanting is the thing that keeps you together. Everything is there in just the chanting. It is the direct link. It is the direct link to Kaloka Vrindavan. If we chant properly. Like say for example what happened in the USSR with the, with the, Hare, with the Hare Krishna devotees in Russia during the Soviet uh, period in Russia. They were put in prison. Just in, in, in work camps and everything. There's no way they could get any access to the books, to the deities, association, nothing. But they maintained chanting. They maintained chanting. They were chanting on their fingers. You know how you can do that on your fingers? Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. And there's a certain amount that you can chant. That's what they did. So Prabhupada says that um, a good chanting, the Bhakti Kripa, is a direct, direct link to Goloka. And there's no need for anything else. So this is how important this whole Holy Harinam is, Holy Name of the Lord. So Srila Prabhupada, in the previous verse, also said, At the present moment, the churches and temples and mosques all over the world are not attracting people because foolish priests cannot elevate their followers to the platform of knowledge, not being aware of their real goals in life. They simply keep their congregation in ignorance. They do. Um, consequently, those who are well-educated have become in, uninterested in ritualistic ceremonies. At the same time, they are not bereft of real knowledge. So, when I deal with interfaith traditions, it's really interesting. There was one time I had an opportunity to meet the Archbishop of, uh, uh, of the Anglican Church. And his office overlooks, I've told this once before, his office overlooks Swanson Street. And I had a, a meeting with him, and he said, you know, Doctor, you know, I'm, I'm actually envious of you. I said, why is that, uh, uh, your, your grace? And he said, well, he said, you have these young men and women. I watched them from my office in Swanson Street, and they're distributing their, your literature. These are young individuals. And then they chant the holy name of God through the streets of Swanson Street. He said, I can't get my people to do this. Our churches are declining all the time. Our young people are leaving us in droves. What is it that draws your people to do these things? And, you know, it, it's true. You know, over, it's just uh, an amazing thing that Prabhupada has encouraged young people to, to become Krishna conscious because we hold the truth. 
I didn't say that to them. You know, the truth is there actually in Christianity, it's just that they don't know it. So our lifetime we've accumulated a lot of knowledge. All of us. You know, we've gone to university, some of us are qualified, you know, personalities going through university, have studied many different things. And Prabhupada makes the example that all the things that we've learnt in our life is compared to like diamond mining when we become a devotee. We sift through all the knowledge that we've had in our life and throw out the rubble, all the different courses that we've done at uni about accountancy and this and that, and we keep the gems. The gems are the diamonds. So Prabhupada compares it to diamond mining, uh, uh, researching our knowledge. And you pick out the gems of things that you can utilize in service to Krishna. Like so many of our devotees are IT experts. We can utilize that in Krishna's service. So many of our devotees are accountants, like our Matura Manaha Prabhu, you know, and he's using that diamond in the service of Krishna by setting up the accounts for the whole of Iskong in Australia. He's gone through so much personal, uh, I wouldn't say suffering, but <laughs> personal uh, hardships to actually accomplish that. And he's, that's a diamond. So there's a diamond, you know. In my own way in studying uh, fine art, that was my area, you know, I can now utilize what I've learned to serve Krishna in that way. So we search out the diamonds in our lives. This is what we do. This is real learning. So by the mercy of Lord Chaitanya, we can cleanse our mind of all those dirty things that we've learned and uh, obtain the diamonds of love of God. So that's very important. Now one other thing that I just wanted to mention. Krishna will give us the intelligence to do extraordinary things in Krishna consciousness. But it's all based on just chanting good rounds. Krishna is, is there within us. He's the genius within us as Paramatma. And he will inspire us to do some wonderful things. Even things that we never thought we were able to do. Krishna can allow us to achieve these things. So recently I heard a lecture uh, about Madhavendra Puri. Madhavendra Puri uh, rejected all unnecessary teachings uh, from his six principal teachings. Have you heard about this? Six principal teachings that, uh, teaching, teachers that Madhavendra Puri had. The six are, the number one is the moralist. The teacher is the moralist. You know what a moralist is? It's a person that has moral standards. So we reject the moralist in that they state that the Hare Krishna movement is not moral. And we got so much criticism because we're not moral individuals, you know. We're not conforming to social morals. You know, we clothes are different, our haircuts are different, our manners are different, so on and so forth. So often, especially, it doesn't happen that much anymore. In the early days, if we were out on Harinam, you know, there'd be so many people that would come up and go, why don't you get yourself a job? You know, this was our job, you know. Because we're against the norm, against the code. We're breaking the code. And the other one is, is uh, that was always labelled to us as, why are you taking our children away? You know, you're taking our children away. And, uh, you know, my son was a really good academic. He could have been so much, you know, and you're taking him away. And Prabhupada said, you know, you just, and they used to say to Prabhupada, you're just brainwashing our children. You know, the moralists would say, you're brainwashing your children, all the deep, deep, uh, deep programs. Thank God they're not around anymore. 
We used to have these deprograms that would kidnap our, our congregation, our devotees, and try to brainwash them away from Krishna consciousness. And Prabhupada would say, your, your son and daughter's brains needed to be washed. <laughs> and Krishna consciousness is allowing that process to happen. So that's the morals. The second one that Madhavendra Puri says teaches that we reject are the Vedic experts. The Vedic experts. You know, so often, again, it happens even now. You know, we talk to other faith traditions, especially Vedic people. Oh, your pronunciation of the mantras are not correct. I get that all the time. And, you know, Bhakti is the Gora Hindu. Oh, he is just the Gora Hindu, the white Hindu. You know, oh, Bhakti is the Gora Hindu. But they don't understand. And, uh, and they also, they, don't, they, don't, they are not doing the rituals properly. Also, big thing. Oh, this should have been that way. This one, that way. Yeah. And, um, but Prabhupada was actually really upset about that when he was confronted by that because they used to come up to Prabhupada and say, You know, your, your disciples are not doing this properly. And he said, You live their life. You should surrender as much as those people, are, as my students are, are surrendering. Then you make a comment. You cannot comment. This is Prabhupada. Very, very heavy. You know? You become as qualified as them. Then talk. So Prabhupada was really, because they are giving up so much. You know, you're doing your rituals for attaining heavenly planets. They are simply wanting to serve Krishna, wholeheartedly, in love and developing love for Krishna. So that's the Vedic experts. Uh, you know, like that was also that story about uh, uh, the deities in London, Radha London Ishwara, you know, where... Um, that they wouldn't worship Radharan because she had a little crack in her hand or something, or something in the finger or something. Prabhupada said, let's go, take the deities. <laughs> the most beautiful deities. But the Brahmins told them, we cannot worship this deity. Those little fleck here, you can't do that. Prabhupada said, we'll worship. It's fine. So the third one is his friends and relatives. There are teachers as well, and those teachers will reject as well. You know, most of, the, most of the time when someone enters Krishna consciousness, the family goes, oh, they must have been frustrated or something. You know, there must be something in them that's really frustrating them that they're not coming to normality. They're frustrated. And uh, no, he's gone mad. You know, this, this, yeah, he went off with the harems. He's gone mad. This was also something in the past. Because of our presentation to the public now, over the years. It's not so prominent anymore. Although in India it still happens a bit, you know, where a person has that family connection. Um, friends of that still have that, oh, you know, uh, Sukadev used to be a lot of fun. He's not fun anymore when he's now he's a devotee, you know, and your friends reject you and leave you. I lost so many of my friends because I wouldn't go out partying with them anymore. Or if, if they asked me out to live, <laughs> Sometimes they would ask me out to their parties, you know, and I thought, yeah, I'm going to go. So I went with Dodi, Tilak, Baldhead, you know, at this rave party or something, you know. People. <laughs> <laughs> and I started preaching to people, you know. Oh, we're not invited back to anymore, this guy's nuts. You know? <laughs> so that's friends and relatives, no fun anymore. The fourth one is the wealthy, the wealthy teachers. Oh, he could have had such a good opportunity to become... Uh, uh, um, you know, a wealthy person. He had such a brain for business. 
He could have been anything, you know, he could have gone into politics, he could have done anything, you know, but he's left it all. There's so much he could have made of himself. You know, even when I joined, I had like a little business for myself. It was called, what was it called? Enlightenment Odd Job Service. I had about five or six guys working for me and we used to do odd jobs, like handyman stuff. Pretty much like the others does, you know? And, uh, and when I became a devotee, I just said, ah, forget it, you know? I don't want to do this anymore. And uh, I just want to serve the devotees. And my parents and friends said, oh yeah, it's such a good business. There was also Drista um, uh, Maharaj, who was, did you know Drista Maharaj? Drista Maharaj's father owned Hague Whiskey. You know whiskey, Hague whiskey, big manufacturer of whiskey in America, and he was the he was the sole heir to this business, and so not, not interested in His father was so upset he could have made so much money, you know, not interested. So that was the wealthy. The next one is learned philosophers. These are yours, your teachers at uni. Why are you leaving? You know the philosophical understandings and everything. Why, you know, why are you doing that? You had so much opportunity to learn so much more. You could have been a scientist. You could be doing research. You know, why, why are you becoming a devotee? And then the other side of it is the philosophers, the, the academics. You know, oh, you devotees are so proud. You know, you think you know everything. You know, they, they get like, you know, every time I have a question, you've got an answer for it. <laughs> and it's true. <laughs> the devotees have got an answer to it, you know, but they get so upset. You know, I've taught you so many things, you know, why are you so proud? Why do you think you know better than me? Because, my dear sir, you don't know the truth. You're supposed to be a teacher, but you don't know the truth. By the mercy of my spiritual master and Krishna, I'm now starting to know the truth. You're not this body. Huh? They don't understand. So they're the other teachers. And the final one, the final teacher is the demoniac. That are just out and out demons. You know? And they'll tell you wrong things. They'll tell you lies. Just to win you over. You know? And so you false information just to control you. This is the times that we're living in. All our politicians and our leaders feeding false information. And we, oh yeah. But the devotee, forget it. We know what's true. The truth is Krishna. The truth is loving Krishna. All these conspiracy theories and that to hell with them. Who cares? You can have your theories about who's doing what and where with this coronavirus. It doesn't matter to us. We know that Krishna protects us. Yeah, but did you know the vaccine is like this and like that? Krishna will protect us. We just had Nashrinadev's appearance day. This demon was trying to kill this little boy. You know, we'll do anything. We'll feed him poison. We'll throw him to the snakes. We'll do this and that. And Prahlad said, you know, no, go for it. Krishna will protect us. No one can interfere with the devotees as long as we keep on chanting. So that's the demonic teaching. So just to recap my class for today, in our life we've been given all sorts of knowledge. Everything is auspicious if we link it to Krishna. Standards of deity worship are cleanliness, what's the other one? Punctuality and simplicity. And it all has to be accompanied with? Chanting. Home deity worship is to be taken seriously because Krishna is there. One does not have to be a scholar in Krishna consciousness. 
And finally, Madhavendra Puri's unwanted teachings are the moralists, the Vedic experts, friends and relatives, philosophers, and demons. Thank you very much. Any comments or questions? Yes, Prabhuji. Thank you so much, Prabhu, for your wonderful class. Um, in the first part of the beginning, Shri Prabhupada has this King Barishwar. Mm-hmm. He's being thankful to Narada Muni and he's saying, Thank you, showing me the right path because I have been misguided by my previous future master. Even they themselves don't know what is the right path. Mm-hmm. And you told about your story, how you have been uh, gone through with three months training in New Guinea, where you have been misguided. But as you know, in current situation, this uh, social media, there are so-called uh, gurus are popping up. And uh, our generation, especially in the lockdown time, they have been watching all these YouTubes and they have been misguided so badly. And when you try to give them a real truth, but the downloading has been done in their mind by these people, it's, it's very hard, you know, just to put them on the right path because they have got so many back and forth arguments to give so and so without any any references of the Veda. So what's your suggestion? Because in this field you have been working for many years and you can see many religious people, they are putting their arguments. So how do you deal with those people? Good question. Yeah, it's it's there at the moment. There, there are some blatant gurus out there that claim themselves to be God. And actually from a devotee point of view, when you see them on, on the internet, where they dress themselves up as Lord Shiva and, sit on a big throne and this big tubby guy thinks he's God. It's like for us, it's like, you're kidding, aren't you? Mm-hmm. And sometimes you listen to what they say and it's like, what are you talking about? You know, he's just talking in riddles. But other ones actually can be quite persuasive and quite uh, misleading in some ways because they tell half-truths. You know, there are things that they teach, in particular one gentleman with a turban, which we won't mention, (laughs) that a lot of devotees are listening to. Uh, You know, he he talks in in terms that, wow, that's almost Krishna consciousness. You know, I've listened to some of his things that he says. And he talks in very sweet words, and, and, you know, and he's quite intelligent, but he doesn't give the full thing. When once does he mention that you actually have to dedicate your whole life in loving service to the Lord. And the devotee should be introspective. That has to be the first thing that that person utters. As Srila Prabhupada did, the first thing he uttered is understand you're not this material body, that you're connected to the Supreme Personality of Godhead and your duty. As it says in this purport, the, one of the most important verses in this, Saravadama Purijagya, abandon all that stuff and just surrender to Krishna. We have, but this is the fickle mind, you know, we're always looking for something else. Is there something else that we have? Is there something else? You know, we have to control that. It actually means that you're not chanting properly and you're not, if if you're enticed by these sort of people on the internet, that means you're actually not completely fixed in your own sadhana. Because if you're fixed in your sadhana and you've chanted good rounds and you're reading Srila Prabhupada's books, you will have no compunction to go and listen to this person. Instead, you'll listen to someone like Kadamakarana Maharaj, David Rita Maharaj. They're all there on Yadshila Prabhupada, listening to a class, and that enlivens you. That enlivens you. That fills you with 
with uh, spiritual joy. When you listen to these other people, they don't fill you with spiritual joy because Krishna is not there. You know? And it's really sad. You know, like when I go and I have to listen sometimes to Christian teachers and priests, I give them more respect. That in the essence, they're, they're genuinely trying to... And even our friend with the turban, in his own way he's trying to develop some sort of spirituality. But for us, and this was the first thing that was mentioned in his verse, we are so fortunate. Prabhupada was mentioning it here that unless one is very, very fortunate, he does not take to devotional service. We are very, very fortunate. So maintain that fortunate position. We have to exercise the process which is being directed by the spiritual master. And that means really focusing on this chanting. That's what I was trying to get across in my class today. That the chanting is the most important thing in our lives. Focusing on that meditation and chanting every day. That that is intense. Prabhupada was intense about that. We have to hear and chant. Bringing Radha and Krishna together. This, is, this was the job of the gopis. The job of the gopis was to somehow or other, that's their, their residential, their all existence, their purpose of existence was to somehow or other bring Radha and Krishna together. That's what you do when you chant Hare Krishna. Hare is Radharani. Krishna is there. By chanting Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, you are bringing Radha and Krishna together. When you do that, Successfully, when you really meditate on the Supreme Lord, nothing else matters. And then when you read the Shastra to in, 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 uh, satisfy your intellect, any of these other things are insignificant. But it shows that actually the chanting is not there. Your mind is still looking for something else. It's all here. In Prabhupada's books, in his, in his pure devotees that are following on from him, you know, and listening to classes by other gurus. And that fulfills you. But if you listen to some of these other ones that are not the full packet, it, and especially for a devotee, it depletes you. It makes you wonder. And again, it starts to deviate you from the path. Does that make sense? Did, yeah. that, did I make sense with that? It, you know, you can... I mean, you can... I wouldn't even give it the time of day, quite frankly. I mean, I have to sometimes have a listen to what other Hindu people are saying because of my job. But I maintain, and, and I really understand that if, if I've, I've got to change my hands properly, otherwise I couldn't do the job that I'm doing. You know? Yeah, but of course, sometimes it feels uh, so sad to see those uh, suffering people. They are not, I have a time to look for the real knowledge, but they can spend hours and hours to listen to these people, you know. Which, yeah. which they are not making any sense. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's been sad. What can you do? I mean, you know, that was the same. Sometimes it takes a lot of convincing, even to the devotees that have been initiated, or the people that are coming to Krishna consciousness. You know, um, it takes a lot. And association is the thing. We have to, if you see that, then you have to give them as much association as you possibly can, and not criticize necessarily. Don't go... Because that's one thing that they did with us as well when we came to Krishna Consciousness. Because of my attachment still to my previous guru, who I had, I had doubts about, but I was still following the process when I was coming to Krishna Consciousness, the devotees would criticize him, right? 
And they would say, oh, your, your, your guru is a mayavadi, just, you know, like this. And I would get my back up because of pride, because this was a teacher that I was following. Hey, this is my teacher. And you're criticizing my teacher? And, I, and I, to the extent where, at one stage, we were living in a house and we were chanting Hare Krishna and we were doing our meditation program from our other guru, right? We're doing both. And we thought we had the best of both worlds. And we would come to the Sunday feast and some devotees would actually pick on us. Your mayabhadis, you know, your guru is nothing, he's dirty, he's a dog and everything like that. To the extent where I said to my friends, my colleagues, I'm not going to that temple anymore. You know, all they do is criticize my teacher, my teacher, I'm not going there anymore. You know, and then Bhavananda came. And Bhavananda had this understanding and he took us up there and we, he wanted to see us. And so my friend said, look, he's the guru, why don't you come and come and see him, you know? I said, oh. So he kind of started criticizing me again, you know, criticizing what I'm doing. I said, no, no, okay, so I went. When we went up to see him, he did nothing of the sort. He said, oh, Maharishi, he's a very happy man. I met him in New York, he's a very happy man. He, he just glorified him. I went, what? And, you know, so all of a sudden, all the barriers, all the pride that I felt in, you know, and all the, you know, all of a sudden it went. And I opened myself up to him and he said, well, do what you're doing, but admit it, thank Hare Krishna as well. So we have to be very compassionate in our dealing, even with the devotees. And they say, for example, they said, oh, well, I saw the turban guy and he was giving this lecture on such and such and... It was really interesting, and some of it is actually quite interesting, and it's Vedic, it's, you know. But in the same token, I said, well, you could also listen to a class by Urmila, or you can listen to a class by Radhanath Swami, or David Rita Maharaj, or, you know, Gopal Krishna Maharaj, there's so many. Get up and Maharaj. Fill that up. Fill your life up with that instead, you know. So you have to, you know, but you don't say that. You say, yeah, I heard that you listened to him. Actually, Kanama Maharaj made a similar sort of point in such and such and such a class. Or there was a lecture by Srila Prabhupada where he addressed that same point that that person was making. I'll get you the details, you should listen to that. So then suddenly you just say, we bring him back on the path. That's our job as devotees. If you see a devotee swaying and being influenced, two things you can understand. Number one, he's not reading and chanting properly. Because if you are, you're steady on the path. Number two, you then have to actually guide him back, gently, back on the path, by offering an alternative. Does that make sense? Okay. Any other comments or questions? No? No? No from you today? Yeah, go on. Can you pass the microphone over to you? Comment or good like that. Yeah. You said about how the deity worship should be in company with Hari Kirtan. Mm-hmm. That just stood out to me because um, I come from South India and somehow the dominant mood is not is not Hari Kirtan itself, it is deity worship in the temples. Mm-hmm. So we were in one temple one time, uh, it was on special occasion and they were going to do Abhishek, so our family was invited, we sat in front of the Lord. We did the whole Abhishek. There's no Kirtan and they told us we can't talk. So he couldn't talk and there was no kirtan going on and he had to just watch the Abhishek and it was like, if, if we would talk, the head priest would get really angry. 
send send their memories in. They're asking me not to talk. So they just have to sit tight. <laughs> so um, Is that frustrating? Yeah, so I just realized that one of the main reasons why the younger generation is not attracted to the temples is because of that reason. Mm -hmm. That we don't have Harikirtan, you know. They will come, you have to take action for one minute and go away, that's it. Yeah. And also, if you meant to sit like that without saying or thinking anything, then they're going to go away. So mm -hmm. this is very important that uh, Harikirtan be introduced, even especially in South Indian temples, and that way we can get the younger generation to come. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. even here in Dandenong, we have the temple uh, in Karen Downs. Yeah. We go there, it's really beautiful, but very quiet, no Kirtan. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Sometimes, <laughs> actually, the Vaishnava priest at uh, the Shiva uh, Vishnu Temple is a very good friend. He's actually a bhakta. He's a very nice man. Very genuine, open-hearted, soft-hearted person. And he always asks me, bhakta, can you please come? Um, when they have different programs for Lord Ram, and, and they have like this Rathiyatra uh, for Lord Ram where he gets carried on this, uh, on this carriage with a horse and everything. And when I was living over on that side of the city, he would ring me up and say, you have to come and do kirtan. Because everybody loves the Hari Nam kirtan, because we don't know how to do it. And so I'd go there with wampas, and, and, and all the Indians would just be in ecstasy, you know, because it was just like a kirtan. I mean, I'm, I'm not a good kirtan leader, but he wanted to have that kirtan, you know. So, uh, yeah, it's true. It's true. Because it's, it's very important that apart from Didi worship, looking at the Didi, our ears should be engaged as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Very, very right. Yeah. So, yeah, and another reason why Spawn is we're so successful is we have Shravan Kirtan Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even I saw on Facebook today, uh, not today, yesterday, uh, they were doing, in Sydney, they were doing Hari Nam on the, on the train with social distancing because <laughs> they're now allowed on the train. So there were the devotees, one was over here, one was over there, one was standing in there. Hare Krishna! <laughs> All the other people were in the train. Some were like, other ones were like this, you know. It doesn't matter. It's great. Hari <laughs> Nam is the answer to everything. Hari Nam Sankirtana. Lord Chaitanya's mission, you know. Just chant the holy name of the Lord. Thank you very much for Ruth for me to speak. Shri Prabhupada Ki Jai. Yantra Shri Mukha Vitam Ki Jai. Jai. Jai.